get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. So it looks like we are live. How's everybody doing? This is Justin Gibney. I am the president and co-founder of the Ann Campaign. And this is a civic update. Uh, This is a church politics civic update where we are trying to the end campaign is trying to raise civic literacy among Christians so that as we go out and engage society, we can do so in a formative and effective way. Uh, The end campaign does not think that Christians should just be out there throwing Bibles at people's heads. We think that we should be applying the word, but we should be, be applying it in a way that society can understand. And that's actually useful. Uh, So we try to help people learn the civic process, understand what's going on, understand the issues and how to apply their values to the issues so that as they go out and address society, they're talking in a way that people can understand and they're not spinning their wheels. They're actually effective in the public square. So that's really big to us. The Ann campaign is a Christian civic organization. Uh, and we believe that the that that politics is actually an excellent way for Christians to follow the great commandment, uh, follow the second half of the, of the great commandment, which is love your neighbor. There is a few better ways to love your neighbor than for advocating for your neighbor's well-being. We see politics giving Christians a robust opportunity to do just that. Uh, we think that there are a lot of Christians that are in politics today uh, that are trying to be good conservatives or trying to be good progressives, but they're not being faithful Christians. Uh, we do not think a Christian should first and foremost be trying to be progressive or conservative. We think we should be focused on Christian principles. And if those Christian principles happen to match up with uh, a certain ideology, then so be it. But we're not led by that ideology. We're actually led uh, by who we are and the Bible is what we stand I won't delay the inevitable. You know, today's conversation is is really about what everybody's been talking about lately. And what everybody's been talking about is these murders, uh, the racialized violence that we have seen in America for way too long. And now it seems to be sort of coming to a head. It seems that because we were in this crisis and, and a lot of people weren't at work, everyone was forced to pay attention to what happened. Uh, forced to pay attention to these murders that happen very simply because these people, because of the color of their skin, that is not okay, and it's time for us to to speak out. So many of you know that last week, the Ann campaign uh, released a statement. We released a statement about racialized violence. And first, and really the crux of that statement was to say that Christians need to speak up now, that Christians need to to stand up, and and we need to change things. Uh, We said, you know, it's It doesn't make sense for people to just be focused on the riots and not focus on the cause of the riots. You see, the riots were a reaction to things that had been happening for years and years and years. And so while we don't condone those things, we do say there's a certain point where people come and they react to the circumstances. So if you really care about this issue, you care about what's going on in our society right now, it's best for us to uh, engage and address the core issue that caused many of these riots and protests and so on. And so I wanna talk about that a little bit today, but we, ever since the end campaign released our statement, we've been getting so so many uh, faith leaders and other folks 
asking us for concrete steps, action steps that they can use to address this issue. And I'm talking about people from all different kind of churches have been hitting us up and, and how can we address this? We want to be a part of the conversation, uh, but you know, we don't know exactly what to do. And so I want to sit down today and I won't for long. I want to go through exactly some of the things you can do to get engaged. Now, I want you to listen to me, but if you go to our website, which is andcampaign, andcampaign.org backslash advocacy, you'll see our list that we released today of action steps that the church can take. We also provided everybody with toolkit. So we provided tools to help you be part of this and help you push the movement because this is going to take a lot of devotion and endurance. There are no quick answers to all that is going on in our society right now. So if we're not talking about this issue six months from now, if we're not talking about this issue a year from now, I doubt things have changed. I do want you to keep uh, a sense of urgency because it is urgent and it should change now. But if it does not change now, we cannot give up and we got to make sure that we're pushing so that something happens. But but it's not going to be easy. And we all have to count the cost and be ready for what may come as we as we push and move forward. I want to be honest. We all see where we are right now. But the first thing I want to do is be honest, because the fact of the matter is, if the whole church would have stepped up years ago, we wouldn't be in this dire situation. The Christians who supported slavery and then supported uh, uh, Jim Crow and then supported redlining. If the Christians who just went along with that would have stepped up years ago, we would not be in this position. We cannot run away from that history. We have to be real about that history. Christians have failed in many ways to do what we needed to do. And we would not be in this place if, if we had done and been the people who we are called to be. Right. But let me say this. The church's response, and I truly believe this, the church's response to the deaths of Donna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and all those folks who, who died unjustly before them could reset the tone and even adjust the American sociopolitical arena. I believe if the whole church responds, that could be the impact that we have. It could deeply impact a space that honestly really needs to be deeply impacted. It could begin to disinfect a toxic environment, uh, a toxic cultural and political environment, really, that will otherwise ruin this country. Let's not be uh, let's be very clear about the consequences of this situation. This is no small thing. Now, I'm not just talking about what we should say. Yes, there are some some things that we should say, and I'll get into that. But I'm talking about what we should do. We all know that First uh, John 3.18 says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That means that we should respond with our deeds. We should respond sacrificially. And in truth means we should do it sincerely, not just talking to be heard, not just saying it because it's the thing to say for the day. And it's easy for us to say today, even though it wasn't easy for us to say yesterday, but doing it because we really want to change and we really want to care for our neighbors. We could have huge impact if we were to come together and do that. But should we fail uh, to appropriately react to this this situation? I truly believe that things will get worse because we've pre we've been presented with an undeni with undeniable evidence of deadly injustice. And if we stare this thing in the face and we dismiss it or we underreact, then we really are making things worse. And at this point, there is no alibi for our complicity. 
However, there's another side of this conversation. If we take a stand and disrupt this unjust system through a movement to produce legislative solutions, then we can have an incredibly positive impact on this country. Look, this country has Christians on both sides of the political aisle. If we were to come together and say we are not going to stand for systemic uh, racism, we're not going to stand for uh, racialized violence, things would change. This crisis presents the church with an opportunity to demonstrate who we really are, to demonstrate what we really value and really to demonstrate who we serve. Our public witness is a reflection of who we serve. And if we serve a just and righteous God, then we need to act just and rightly and with courage in addressing this issue. So it's time to put our cultural preferences aside. It's trying to put ideological uh, tribalism aside and even our financial interests aside and act sacrificially to make sure that this stops. Because through the Holy Spirit, we have the power to do something and we have a power, power not to make things perfect but certainly to make things better than they are right now. And I think we have an obligation to do that. So I just wanted to start off by being very clear. The church historically has not done what we need to do. And that's why we're in this situation. But we have an opportunity to do what we need to do and really set the tone and change the whole dynamic that we're seeing. But we got to make sure that we're Christian first. We got to make sure that we do it by the word. And that's going to be very important. So let me go through the list of things that I think Christians need to do in order to have a real, a real impact uh, on this. To, here are some very practical, concrete uh, action steps that we can take to have an impact on this. And the first one uh, you may have heard before, but Christians have to bear witness. And that's biblical. Uh, at no other time has society needed to know where Christians stand on justice issues than now. They need to know where we stand, who we are and what our values are and how those values apply to what's going on today. There is no time for being ambiguous. So if, if people are kind of wondering where you stand or kind of think that you're about injustice or kind of think that you're find, fighting racism, that's not good enough. We need to approach this in no uncertain terms and let everyone around us know that we're not OK with this. And that goes especially for Christians with a more conservative theology, like myself, because society says that Christians with a more conservative theology don't care about other people. Now, some of that is unfair and some of that has been earned, but we need to make it very clear that the gospel is about compassion, that we love our neighbors and that we will sacrifice for the, our neighbors. There should be no question about that, but let's be real. We can say that just about those with a conservative theology, but really majority Christians. I wanna to talk to you directly too, you really have an obligation right now not to be ambigu ambiguous about where you stand when it comes to justice. You need to speak up and you need to be very clear. You know, the Bible and I think Isaiah 59 verses 15 through 16, it says the Lord looked down and, and was displeased because there was no justice. He looked on a land that had no justice. It said he looked and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene, that he had all these people who were called by his name, all these people who were uh, were praying to him and, and said that they served him. And no one was intervening on behalf of justice and righteousness. It says God was appalled. So what we see from this is not that anybody who tries to say that protest is bad and all these things are bad. No, what we see in this situation is that God is appalled 
that they weren't disrupting things. God is appalled that they were protesting and weren't fighting back because that's what he, that's how what he sent them to do in part. Now we know that our actions don't save us. But as we've said before, it is indicative of what's written on our heart. And if you look through Isaiah, if you look through Amos and a whole bunch of places in the Bible, you will see that God has an expectation that we will do justice, that we will be merciful. And when things are unjust, that we will correct them. Now, the thing that we have to understand about justice is that justice is not a lack of injustice. So if you're sitting at home and you're saying, well, I'm not racist, well, I'm not doing anything unjust. That doesn't mean that just right, because justice is not a lack of anything, just like love. Love is not a lack of hate. It's an action. It's proactive. And you have to do something in order to be just not just sit back and do nothing. So I really want us to think about the importance of us bearing witness. And if you want to bear witness, you want people to know what you really think about this issue. One way you can express that is through sharing the Ann campaign's statement that we did on racialized violence. Right. To say that this represents what I believe and I and I'm here to say I stand with the Ann campaign and others when we say this racialized violence has to stop and it has to stop now. So number one is Christians have to bear witness. We have to we have to tell power about the truth and we have to let people know that we are about uh, justice and we will intervene when we see unrighteousness and when, when we see injustice. That's the first thing that we have to do is bear witness. Number two, uh, the, the second thing that the AND campaign has said that people can do in concrete ways is prepare for action. Now, I know that we have this visceral response and we saw the videos and we just wanted to react. And I think that's all right. We can lament. We can be upset and we can react. But at the end of the day, if we want to be impactful. We have to have a plan. We have to strategize. I know you have, you all have seen uh, illustrations or, or read illustrations of the civil rights movement and folks strategizing in churches. Right. And, and to me, obviously, that was. Uh, a practical thing because that was the best place for them to meet up. The church was such a, a pillar of that community that that was the best place to be. That was the place where they thought they were most safe and would have the privacy to do that. But symbolic, symbolically, it also speaks to the time that they put in, to the energy that they put into this, and the fact that they started with the word. We have to prepare a plan of action. We have to establish a foundation and framework from which we will engage. How ought a Christian conduct themselves in the public square? Can we just be about reckless abandon? Can we just go out there and do what everybody else is doing? I don't think so. When we go about our father's work, we have to uphold a standard. And it's a standard that is a biblical standard that says, I can't react like everybody else. I can't hate you even though you hate me. I can't put people in harm's way and innocent people in harm's way just because I want to react and just because I'm feeling hurt. But not that we don't understand those reactions, but as Christians, we have to have a plan and a long term strategy. And so we have to organize and we have to strategize. Uh, one of the things that we ask people is when you get into this conversation, what are your specific long term and short term objectives? What are you trying to achieve in the short term and the long term? What's your timeline? Who are the decision makers that that uh, that can give you what you're asking for? Because if I'm going to protest, if I'm going to write letters and do all these things, I need to make sure it's going to the right people, people that can actually change something. 
Okay. Um, then the other thing is when we talk about strategizing and organizing, are there other faith leaders or other Christians who you might want to work with? Reach out to them, do it together, right? Call them and coordinate, share resources. We'll talk a little bit about that next, but make sure that the Christian voice is distinct. Okay. We cannot simply follow behind secular tactics and secular agendas, right? We can't go out there and say just because they're doing it and they say they're for justice, that means that they're really for justice. One of the things that Christians are going to have to do right now and do it very clearly is distinguish between people who are trying to take down and dismantle uh, unjust systems and unjust institutions and distinguish those people from folks who just like to tear stuff down from folks who just want to tear down institutions. Because some of those folks who are just tearing stuff down and uh, like Antifa and all these other folks, some of these folks who are just tearing stuff down, they also want to tear down the institution of the church. So if you're just going along with them and you're not making that distinction, then that's problematic. We have to strategize. We have to have a plan. We have to step back and say, okay, I got it out. Now what am I going to do to make sure that change happens? And again, like I said before, that's going to take a lot of devotion and endurance because it's not an easy uh, battle that we're about to wage. So that's number two. Right. We have to make sure that we prepare for action. It's not something that you just jump into because people can get hurt. And I hope you've read uh, books about the the civil rights movement. They took their time. These folks were cerebral. Uh, they took their time and not not to say they didn't have a sense of urgency, but they took the time to do their due diligence and make sure that they could be impactful. And it still took years. OK, so we got to make sure that we do the same. We stand on the shoulders of those giants and let's make sure that we learn the lessons and the wisdom that they hand down. The next thing I would say that's important is in number three is support and partner with institutions. Many pastors will tell you this, but for some reason in this day and age, and it's not just young people, people do not have are irreverent, right? They're irreverent. They don't have a lot of reverence for leadership and institutions. And, and part of that is understandable because sometimes our leaders and our institutions have let us down. But we shouldn't allow that to lead us to believe that we don't need leaders and that we don't need institutions because we do. Uh, it's very important that we have leaders and institutions and we act through them. You, as I said before, advocacy is about devotion and endurance, and institutions are the best a way to cultivate devotion and endurance, right? That's one of the things that institutions do. Uh, also, we know that when we, you know, uh, one person can do some, some things and a few people can do some things, but there's power in numbers. And institutions provide us with the infrastructure and resources to advocate efficiently and effectively. Institutions provide us with a framework, they provide us with infrastructure. They provide us with a way to communicate with an agenda, with a platform familiarity with the process. They can train us to do those things. But if everybody's a free agent, everybody's just getting it how they know how, it's going to be harder for us to be effective. So working through institutions is very important because institutions do the due diligence that you may not have the time to do. 
right? This may be a time where you have more time to protest. You have more time to think about the issue, but sometimes you'll be working, you'll be taking care of your kids, and you don't have time to be thinking about it all the time. Institutions can focus in on that issue while you have to focus in on a whole lot of other stuff. And they're focusing in on that issue while you may be preoccupied. So I can't enough. We have to understand the importance of institutions and we have to get away from this idea that we're all outsiders. That when we see that something wrong in the church, we say, well, look at them. No, it's us. And we should be willing to stick around long enough to fix things instead of always wanting to take our ball and go home when something doesn't work. We can't have healthy institutions when we do that. That's not to say you'll ever agree with any institution and everything that they do. But it does mean that even in your disagreement, you see the value of it and you stick with it to change the things that need to change and accept the things that you may not be able to change. OK, so institutions are very important. Of course, we're talking about abusive institutions or stay somewhere where you're being mistreated and all that stuff. But in general, we need to see the value in institutions. Something that would seem obvious to some people, but a lot of folks don't get is that we also have to focus in on criminal justice elections. And so number four, the fourth action step is for us to focus in on criminal justice elections. We talk so much about national politics that we forget the importance of local politics, because when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to a lot of criminal justice issues, a lot of that stuff happens on a level. So if you're just looking at the national, if you're just paying attention to what's going on on television and with the presidency and with the Senate, then you're missing opportunities to focus in on what's going on locally. And what's going on locally, you will likely have a greater impact on that than you will have on a lot of the stuff that's going on in, in other places. So I, I would just encourage you to make sure that you're focusing locally. If I asked a lot of you today, who's your sheriff? Right. Who's your district attorney? You know, who are some of your judges? Would you be able to answer those questions? And if not, that's problematic because how do you hold somebody accountable and you don't know who they are? Right. A lot of folks are talking about criminal justice and who are excited about it. If you looked at their voting records, they're not voting in criminal justice elections. We have to make sure we do that. We have to make sure uh, that we're learning about criminal justice related things and staying up on those things. One of the things that we can do and churches can do to get involved in criminal justice elections is to collaborate with other churches and institutions to host town halls, to host panels so that the people can have conversations with the police chief. The people can have conversations with the district attorney and see what they're doing and have opportunities to hold them accountable. We have to get out of the habit that we get somebody elected to office as soon as they get in there, if they were our person, then we're happy and we just leave them to their own devices. Do whatever you got to do because we're on the same team and I'm just happy I got you elected. That is terrible. That's what I call tic-tac-toe politics. And anybody who's been in politics knows that politics is chess. When you put somebody in office, you have more of a responsibility to hold them accountable. You have more of a responsibility to make sure that they do what they said they were going to do. And on the other hand, don't give up just because the person you voted for didn't get in. Because the truth of the matter is, if you push enough, that may lean to what you're saying. They start, you know what, this person is right. Or just want to get elected and realize that y'all are going to hold them accountable if you keep pushing. And so I may change my position on something. So what I'm saying is don't give up whether your, your, your person got elected or whether your person didn't get elected. These are people and they need to be pushed to do the right thing. We have to hold people accountable. 
I really think that Christians have to start seeing elected officials more so as servants than a leader who I'm just going to revere and do everything you say. Right. You come into the church and we just go crazy. We're just so excited to have a politician in there, a candidate there that we set the tone, that we say, no, you're in our space right now. And there's certain ways to go about it. Now, I'm not asking you to disrespect politicians or to treat them bad. I think you should have respect for public servants because they do put a lot on the line. But what I am telling you to do is make sure that you hold them accountable. Whether you voted for them or didn't vote for them, that's something we have to do. So number five, engage, uh, focus in on criminal justice elections. That's number four. Number five is to engage elected officials and administrative heads. Uh, we have to make sure that we're always going back and forth with people, that we're always uh, sending them letters, that if they come to our church, maybe we give them a questionnaire. If you go to our website, you will find a questionnaire for candidates and elected officials when they come to church. Let me tell you this. Every other serious organization that uh, that allows candidates to speak to their people makes them fill out a questionnaire, makes them answer questions so that they know where they stand. So that they can either hold them accountable or make sure that they do what they said they're going to do. I don't think the church should have people invite people in it who are who are elected officials and not know where they stand on issues. Because what sometimes happens is somebody can in and skin in one of the uh, congregation and then go back to the state capitol and vote against the church's interests or vote against the community's interests. And we let them get in front of our people. But we didn't even ask them what they were about and what they really stood for. That is a mistake. We got to make sure that we are holding people accountable. Okay. Um, and so attend city council meetings, read your local newspaper so that you know what's on the agenda of the city council, of the school board, of the uh, uh, county commission, all those things. You should know how this works. There's a thing called open meetings, which says that when they make big decisions, they have to open the meeting uh, in states have to give people public comment and you need to be participating in that if you really say that you care about these issues now we're seeing how you know how how we can be involved and now we're seeing that it's not necessarily easy it is going to take a team it is going to take an institution it's going to take us teaming up with other people but we have to engage elect elected officials and administrative agency heads if we want to make this work now that's number five number six is advocate for policy change now, I want to say this again. I said it before, but I think it is it, saying I come from the traditional black church and I am talking to, to us as well. But I'm also talking to majority Christians. Uh, and this is very important. Christians should be using their social and political capital to challenge racial injustice in their sphere of influence. Your capital. You should be used. You should be acting sacrificially and advocating for legislation that dismantles racial injustice. But you can't hold all your political capital, all your social capital for you and your tribe and not do it for anybody else. And the truth of the matter is a majority Christians have leverage. They have leverage with the system that a minority Christian, black Christians do not have. And so I'm calling on you today to use that leverage to help other people, to help your, your brother and sisters. That's something that you have to do. We can read through the Bible all day. We can go back to John, First uh, John 3 and see that if you're not willing to lend a helping hand when you have something and your brother doesn't have something and you're not willing to use that to help him out, the Bible says then you don't love that person. Then you're not loving them through your actions, that you're not loving them sincerely. 
So I really want to call majority Christians to use your social capital right now. The beauty of what's going on right now, even Chris, you know, the church is somewhat divided. We have Christians on both sides of the aisle. We have Christians on both sides of the aisle, means, which means that if Christians today said we're standing up and Christians that were Republicans and Christians that were Democrats said we're done with all this racialized violence, we're done with racial injustice, something would change. But if you're going to protect your social capital and your political capital and only use it for yourself or only use it for your community, then we're not going to make the change that we need to make. And we're not going to find the type of racial rec reconciliation that we need to find because racial reconciliation has to be more than just a kumbaya sessions. Fellowship is great unless you're sacrificing for something for your brother, unless you're understanding the history and doing something better than you've done before. The chances are that nothing is going to change. And so we need to make sure that we're going that extra mile to change things. And that involves giving of yourself making sacrifices. I often say that justice is harder than charity because with charity, somebody can decide how much they give. I can give a little, but I'm not going to give. I don't necessarily have to give to where it hurts me. Well, the thing about justice is justice isn't given until it's given fully. And justice forces you, it forces a conflict between uh, you and your self-interest. And it's going to force you to dig inside of yourself and give probably what you don't want to give. What may not even be in your best interest if you're looking at it from a selfish perspective, but that's what the gospel demands of us. That's what it means to be sacrificial. And so I'm asking majority Christians to be sacrificial in this moment because it's so important. If you go to our website, you can find a number of different uh, uh, policies that you can pursue. We're in a, we have an abundance mentality. We're not going to recreate the will. So I want to give a shout out to the NAACP. They came up with some great policy demands, whether it be outlawing chokeholds, outlawing, you know, someone putting their knees in their neck. They have great suggestions that we are probably going to pursue ourselves. Uh, also, you have the uh, campaign zero and eight can't wait. They have some some really good ideas of how we could change this. We can we can be co-belligerents with people. Uh, and so I'm guessing some of those folks are believers. But even if all of our, our aren't believers, we can still be co-belligerents with them and work with them within our framework. Right. And so the end campaign wants to show that by representing and putting on our site what some of these other groups are doing. Let me end with this. And this is number seven. Uh, number seven is. Uh, helping the church. Again, I'm calling on churches, majority churches, and just churches that are financially in, in very stable positions to help these low-income churches that are in these hurting communities. Because the truth is, the only long-term solution in any of this is a strong church in these communities. And if we don't have strong churches in these communities to provide spiritual uplift, to provide resources, and all the programs that they do, and eventually we're going to be back in the same place. So as many of you know, we had the Churches Helping Churches Challenge where we raised over a million dollars for, for low-income churches that were going to be hoarding due to, due to COVID, right? We raised over a million dollars. We gave $3,000 grants to hundreds of churches and got just great feedback from that. Well, we're going to continue that effort. And so we're asking you to go to churchrelief.org and help hurting churches so that they can be strong and so that they can lift up their community. By helping churches, you're helping these communities. And I really think there should be a strong effort to continue to help these churches move through. That's pretty much what I have today.
Those are some very real action steps. And if we take those action steps and come together as a church, not just the black church, not just just the Hispanic church, but if all come together as a church, we really can change the situation that we're seeing today. But we have to do and have to be who we've been called to be. We have to put aside some of the partisanship and some of the ideologies that are keeping us from doing justice. Because if we would have done justice a long time ago, we would not be here today. I want to thank you all for, for joining me today. I told you it wouldn't be long. If you want to see all that stuff again, you can go to andcampaign.org uh, backslash advocacy, and it'll have the whole list of the seven steps that you can take. And also some, some very good, um, uh, good toolkit that will help you write letters to your elected officials, will give you a questionnaire. All those things are there. Uh, tell you how to organize. All those things are there. So go check it out. Thank you so much for being with me today. And let's fight. The church can change this. Let's do it. It's our job. Came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. you handle it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fame.